0: And we have, no one's really been testing the placentas, but it's an interesting thing that we think some of these cells, abnormal cells just go into the placenta and it'd be interesting for us to see if that's where we're going to find the abnormal cells.
1: Hi, I'm Mary Wong. And I'm Dr. Tanya Wild. We're wellness experts, fertility strategists, and moms who overcame infertility-infusing science and all things natural. We
2: are on a mission to boost your mood, your bod, and your inner mama spirit as you navigate
1: this thing called life, from fertility to pregnancy and mamahood through menopause. Think of us as your own personal fertility squad as you make, grow, birth, and raise your baby. Fasten your seatbelts. Lean lean in, in. And get ready to learn and be encouraged. This is my Fertology podcast.
2: So thank you so much for this. And I think, is there another question, Tanya? Do we miss anything? I and think if the not, biggest question, to the maze, I guess, So well. one
1: last question is, is this a replacement to testing in pregnancy? So you are now pregnant with a PGT healthy embryo and you're 11 weeks. Would you test, do all the standard testing of babies? So tell us about that.
0: Yeah. We still recommend that we um, we um, there is probably about a one to 2% error rate. um, And part of it is mosaicism. Part of it may be error. Um, And so we, because we are again, taking the cells from the part of the embryo that would become the placenta. So sometimes the fetus isn't the same as the placenta. And, um, and so we do, um, uh encourage our patients to also get NIPT, non-invasive prenatal testing. And um and and our partnered OBGYNs, we say no, no, just because they had their embryos tested doesn't mean they shouldn't have any prenatal testing. So absolutely, absolutely they should have that.
1: A little more confidence yeah. going yeah. in though for that yeah. testing. You're less stressed yeah. out, which helps having done the PGT doing yes. those prenatal testing or done over, both of yeah. them, that's great.
0: Yeah. You know, there is one other thing that you might just want to mention, um, Mary, is that we are hoping in the next five years to move to um, a more non-invasive method to test for chromosomes. And so the two ways that we're hoping to do that is if an embryo is cultured in media to take the cells that are shed from that embryo, and to test those for chromosomes, or to take some of the fluid that's on the inside of the blastocyst and to test those. So that's basically sort of non-invasive PGTA. And it's, there's a lot of kinks that still have to be worked out with this, but any concerns folks had about biopsy embryos or um might be overcome by by trying to get results in a less invasive way. I love once that. the
1: technology is there. Yeah. It's yeah. right. It's a brilliant it's idea. Just, yeah. It's a patient question that I get a lot. Like what if it's there's damage and that's why my PG right, right. embryo didn't transfer. And, and so then yeah, it kind of takes that factor away.
0: Yeah, even us as physicians, our embryologists are like, they are so hardy. And we're like, oh, yeah, but you're doing this and this and this to the embryo. But um, but they do seem to do quite well. So and all of the studies so far that have looked at outcomes after doing PGTA with blastocysts, with the trophectoderm biopsies have been um, encouraging in terms of outcomes.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you. Okay, so I hope that decreases stress rather than raise stress because sometimes
0: more information causes confusion. No, so kidding. Lots we of acronyms going on.
2: Absolutely. Right. Mm-hmm. So, if there's any concerns, like feel free to reach out to us. <laughs> and then now let's like totally. Well, it's not actually it's the same thing, but deeper dive into Mosaicism, which we mentioned earlier. So <laughs> let's begin that conversation. And I'm so excited that. Uh, Dr. Lori Marshall has actually done research on this. So let's go straight into it. Yeah, what is it
1: first, Mandy?
0: Thank you so much for inviting me. This is a sticky topic, and hopefully I can um, explain it clearly to everyone. Um, And and we struggle with it every day. Um, Basically, what mosaicism is, is in general, the presence of more than one distinct cell line in a sample from an individual, from a person, right? So, and some of you have heard, so you can see there, for example, there's a mosaic down syndrome. So there are, are individuals who have down syndrome, but they have some cells that are down syndrome and some that are normal. And usually in those cases, they're not as severely affected as if they were full chromosome down syndrome right so um so so, so you know is, what before they... you go
2: on if you don't mind we're just going to rehash exactly what that means so when we take it, when we biopsy some cells and it's more than one right so you can have multiple cells and some of them are tested as normal chromosomally and others may actually say oh there's down syndrome cells here
0: right? Yeah. So yeah. that's what mosaicism is. So that's, it's not so, all the cells. So, so yeah, so technically, you're talking about an individual, right? But we go back to embryos, and we can look at embryos that have a mixture of normal and abnormal cells. So, um, so if you look at a blastocyst, and it has an outer portion to it, that we call the trafectoderm And um and that those cells become the placenta and there's a portion that is the inner cell mass that becomes the fetus and those can be all normal and we call that a euploid embryo they can be all abnormal and we call that an aneuploid embryo or it can be a mixture of both and so the mixture could be that the cells are normal, um, in the inner cell mass, which is the portion that becomes the baby and abnormal in the placenta, which is a portion that becomes or in the trafectoderm, which becomes the placenta or the normal and abnormal cells can be scattered throughout the embryo. So this is the bane of our existence, right? This is so difficult for us because when we're testing embryos, we want a normal abnormal result. We don't want anything in between. Um, And so this challenges us a lot um, because of course we don't want to transfer an embryo to a patient that um, would result in an abnormal child. The truth of the matter is, although I used an example of a mosaic child, there aren't that many mosaic individuals. And so really with IVF, we're not trying to prevent mosaicism. We're trying to just get our patients pregnant with healthy children. And mosaicism isn't really something that we've thought about much in the past until we now have such sophisticated testing of embryos that we can see these in-between results. Um, So it took a lot of courage, I think, for clinicians to say, well, you know, maybe some of these mosaic embryos can become babies, and um, particularly if not many of the cells are abnormal. And so, so we have over the past five years, gently put our toes in the water and tried to start transferring some of these embryos to see what the outcomes would be. There have been probably reported in the literature, maybe a thousand or more transfers of embryos that have these in-between results. and, um, And the outcomes have been surprisingly good. So that we have learned that not every mosaic embryo is the same, and we have gradually learned which ones might be preferential to transfer.
2: And that's great. And um, you know, we certainly see that as well. And that people will ask, "Oh gosh, like I I just have one embryo in the bank, and mm-hmm. it's a mosaic. What do I do? I do I I know go ahead?" Or do I do another IVF, right? So how do you um, speak to someone about that?
0: So still, I think if there's somebody who is in an age group where they could still produce eggs, could still um, make embryos and have either insurance or can afford to do another IVF cycle, I think the preferential approach is to do another IVF cycle and to get And to try to get embryos that are clearly in the normal range, you they're probably the, the bulk of the data together suggests that pregnancy rates aren't as high. If you transfer an embryo, that's mosaic, even if there are just a few cells that are abnormal um, and miscarriage rates are probably higher. And so it's, it's, it's kind of a second tier embryo. So if, particularly if you're hoping to have more than one child or whatever, you should probably do another cycle and preferentially transfer uh, a full euploid embryo. We basically have evolved, like as we're learning more, we're trying to, all of the clinics are trying to evolve our policies and guidelines in terms of how to handle these. And we have done the same initially when labs started reporting mosaic embryos a couple of years ago, we said, oh my gosh, we can't transfer those because we don't know anything about transferring them. We don't know if we're putting patients at risk of having an abnormal child. We don't know what the pregnancy rates are. So we did not transfer any mosaic embryos at first. Um, and then with time, And with a little bit more data, we decided to get our own data. And we have a wonderful genetic counselor who spends an enormous amount of time with our patients, counseling them about mosaic embryos and the unknown risks that they might take. And so we have over the past um, year or two um, been transferring selected mosaic embryos. and have had good success rates. Um, We carefully choose the ones where there are low percentages of abnormal cells. A normal embryo has less than 30% abnormal cells. An abnormal embryo has more than 70% abnormal cells. A mosaic embryo in our laboratory and pretty close to this in most laboratories have 30 to 70% of their cells are going to be abnormal. So, and we we get a report from the lab, it tells us which percentage of cells are abnormal for the chromosome that's affected. So, if say it's chromosome, you know, 16 or whatever, it will say um, there in 35% of the cells, there is an extra chromosome you know, 16. And then that is an embryo that we might consider transferring before one that has 65% of the cells are abnormal, because it's more likely that that embryo is not going to make it um, any further in culture. And it's more likely that it actually truly is an abnormal embryo.
1: So, I didn't realize that for healthy embryos that they had a percentage that were actually considered to be okay to be transferred in
0: abnormal. Well, there's a sensitivity of the assay. So anytime you test anything, there's like, like the, the, we say, gee, this, 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 this test can't pick up, um, can't say with a great deal of reassurance that there's going to be less than. 20%, 20%, right? So they have a cutoff. And, and so it used to be with the the older methods of testing that weren't as good as what we have now, that we basically they had a little higher cutoffs. So probably, you know, 30% or so was the cutoff. And then anything above that, we just called abnormal, right? And so So now with mosaicism, you can look at it two ways. You can look at it as a huge headache, right? For doctors and for patients, or you can say, we are now offering the opportunity to transfer some of these intermediate embryos and a certain percentage of those could become babies and not first choice, but second tier, right? Second choice. Um, So so even the normal ones.
1: To be more specific, even the normal ones do have a percentage. I just find even that normal going. ones have, have a percentage
0: that. of abnormal cells. Yeah, so, it so it's kind of yes. like they're almost
1: AIC. It's just like a, it's like yes, a range.
0: Yes, yes. Okay. The the embryos in development are far more chaotic than most of us realize, <laughs> sure. right? Yes. So, and yes. there's certain stages. That's why day three testing was so awful because that's one of the most chaotic times for an embryo and you know, the blastocyst by the blastocyst stage, the embryo has settled more into its, its chromosomal makeup, but it still has work to do. Right. So, um, and, um, and, and we don't totally understand what happens. It's very research Mm -hmm. on an embryo from like day seven to day 14 is really restricted. Right. So it's hard for us to learn that. Mm -hmm. But what we think may happen, and from some work in Belgium, is that if if you culture that embryo, like a mosaic embryo, out to day 14 in a laboratory with special permission, that the ones that are low-level mosaics will either make it to day 14, and if you retest them, they're normal, or they'll die along the way the higher level mosaics, which means closer to 70% abnormal cells, it's less likely that they'll make it out to day 14. They usually just die on the way out. But all mosaic embryos in the study from Belgium, if they made it to day 14, they were normal. So they, um, they, do, they do probably repair themselves to a certain extent or the fetus you know, the embryo kind of throws the abnormal cells into the placenta mm. and, and then the fetus may be normal.
2: So going back to, um, for those people that are joining in, we just want to refer back to the previous interview, which is about the genetic testing in general. And we were addressing also how not all um, chromosomally normal embryos are babies. So you just basically spoke to that, which is great. And so, uh, and, and then going back, we want, need to actually introduce you again because for this portion of it, some people may be just joining in. And Dr. Lori Marshall is from the Pacific Northwest Fertility Clinic in, in Seattle. And she is, I'm so proud to hear this, by the way, that you are the first fertility doctor, a female fertility doctor in Washington. And not only are you a fertility doctor endocrino- reproductive endocrinologist, but you're also an OBGYN. And um, I love it that you're a professor and researcher as well as a professional, a, a doctor seeing patients. But I, I, what I love most is that you're also an advocate who is currently supporting a movement to pass legislation to require insurance coverage for to help build families in the state of Washington. So, you know, like, thank you. Kudos to you. Obviously, it shows that you are dedicated and you are there for people building their families. So thank you.
0: Thank you for inviting me on your show. I really appreciate it.
2: Oh, gosh, like people need to learn about this. And um, I certainly taken away some stuff here. I, and uh, so I can go back to we can go back to our patients and give them more information as well. And to not confuse, but really to have informed choice and decisions around, you know, do we really want to do genetic testing? And then secondly, if we have mosaicism, do we transfer that and um, have them be informed so they can self-advocate? Right. 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 So in terms of the study, like, cause you were taking your own data, um, do you have much or, or specific numbers for us regarding you know, normal embryos being transferred, making it to babies versus the mosaic embryos that you've transferred for women? Do you have stats on that that you can report? We do, we do.
0: So, um, so we have um, gradually started to transfer mosaic embryos And our live birth and ongoing pregnancy rate has been 53% in women who have mosaic embryos transferred. And that's lower than screened embryos and higher than unscreened embryos. So, so if the embryos are screened, it's close to, it's about 70%, 69 to 70% in our clinic. And if you don't screen embryos at all, it's various age groups. And, um, and it's, it would be lower than that 53% in the range of 30 to 40%, depending on the age of the, of the, the woman. So, so it does it, it is encouraging. I would say that we spent a lot of time picking the patients that would have mosaic embryos transferred and picking the embryos that they transferred. For example, almost all of those patients that conceived had low level mosaics or what we call segmental mosaicism. So they have, so um, they, when you do PGTA, you look for an extra chromosome, a missing chromosome, but we also look for a big chunk out of a chromosome, which we call a deletion or a little bit extra chromosomal material, which we call a duplication. And they're less common than the trisomies, which is an extra chromosome or monosomies, which is a missing chromosome. And they probably aren't as, um, uh, I don't know what the word is. So they probably don't affect the fetal development as much as what we call a whole chromosomal abnormality. So so most of the pregnancies that we had um, with transfer mosaic embryos were the low level mosaics, sort of 30 to 50% of the, um, chromosomes were had, had one abnormal chromosome, or they were, um, deletions or duplications that were mosaic. Um, we did not do well with high level mosaics. So when there were 60% or 70%, um, But we also say if a patient had more than one mosaic embryo, we would advise them to transfer a low level mosaic first. And that may be partly why our success rates are as high as they are, because we are carefully trying to choose the mosaic embryos that are the best to transfer. Um, So some of the success rates in the early papers were much less than that, but they were also learning which, which mosaic embryos were the best to transfer of course, that makes so much sense. That's,
2: again, very enlightening. And I remember what you said in the first um, portion of the podcast, where you mentioned that, you know, it doesn't matter your age, once you've tested, and it's uh, whatever the chromosomes are, if it's normal, then
0: it's irrelevant of age, correct? Am I saying it right? Right, pretty much. Yeah, it's a, just a teeny bit less for a forty-one to forty-two-year-old age group, but it's like sixty-one to sixty-two percent, and high sixties to seventies for our younger patients. But very close to the same, and that actually surprised us because we thought there was more that age did to an embryo than just um, you know than just affect the number of chromosomes. So if you can, if you are older and you can find that you know, that normal embryo that success rates are still good. I think one of the surprising things for us to looking at mosaicism is that we know aneuploid embryos are, or abnormal embryos are much more common as women get older. And, um, and the the So increase, so you see an increase in the percentage of abnormal embryos as women get older. You see a decrease in the number of normal embryos as women get older, but mosaicism we see in all age groups and it does vary a little bit, but you you see as high a percentage of mosaic embryos in our younger patients as our older patients. And if we, when we looked at our data, um, wow. 42% of our cycles had at least one full chromosome mosaic embryo. So this is not a small problem. This is not something that just, you know, happens every once in a while. Um, and in many of our younger patients, they also have enough normal embryos that they don't really have to deal with the question of mosaicism, but we've, we say, Hey, hold on to those embryos, but don't use them first. You want to use the ones that are definitely normal first. And, but a lot of these young women who have good egg supplies, even egg donors have mosaic embryos and, um, And it may be that they're closer to normal. Some of these are closer to normal. And so because they have more normal embryos, they have more of these closer to normal embryos, but we don't really have a good handle on why it's not age dependent really.
2: I love that. And that's something new. I did not know that uh, there were lots of uh, mosaic embryos for the younger population, especially the donors. So that's really insightful. And um, I guess when you talk about low level versus high level mosaicism, and just to be clear and to reiterate, um, uh, in terms of low level now specifically, does that mean it's like just one chromosome that is wrong and it may only be like, let's say they are biopsying 10 cells and out of that, you know, two are abnormal and it's the specific chromosome for down syndrome. That is the issue. Like I wanted like have clarity for people exactly what Mm -hmm. that
1: means. Mm -hmm.
0: So, so yeah, so, so that's not exactly how the results come out, but that's basically a good way to think of it. Um, and usually we don't take quite 10 cells away from an embryo. We might take five, but so, so yes. So low level means yes, a lower percentage of the cells show the abnormality. And, um, and so we think then that it's more representative of the embryo. If a if a higher percentage of the cells are abnormal, that's more representative of an abnormal embryo. But the other question that you asked is a good one too, which is that sometimes we do see two chromosomes that are mosaic. And in our experience and in the experience of others, success rates are not as good when two chromosomes are are reported as being mosaic even if they're low level mosaicism, we haven't seen, we haven't seen pregnancies in that group. Others have seen some pregnancies, but at a much lower rate. So in, we certainly would prefer to put in our low level deletions, duplications, whole chromosome abnormalities first. Second is probably the high level um, deletions and duplications. And then the, um, you know, and then really, you know, tied for last place would be two chromosomes affected or a high level whole chromosome mosaicism, which means an extra full extra chromosome or full missing chromosome. So we do tear that and, and our genetic counselors are very careful about that. Initially, there was like, Oh, if there's an extra one, it's worse than if there's a missing one, or, you know, they went through all of this, but this is pretty much how we're looking at it now, the low level mosaics are the first ones we transfer. The last ones are when two chromosomes are affected.
2: Wow, this is awesome. Yeah. Uh, lots to think about for sure. And I know it's come, you know, we could just talk about it for a whole day, but yeah, we're all busy and we have to run off and do our thing. And, and there's so many things, variables, and you know, life is a miracle period, right? And to add all yeah. this to it, it's, it's complicated.
1: I think it brings hope to mosaic um, embryos and I think it gives me more uh, definitely an understanding that, you know, I mean, if, if, if uh, the normal embryos have a little bit of abnormal, then it's just all in a spectrum and the technology is just going to get better and better. Over yes. time which is very exciting so thank you so much for yes. sharing Dr. yes Bates.
0: yes and i think we're moving to the point where we hope people understand we're just trying to select the best embryo so mm-hmm. we'll pick the ones that are completely euploid first and then we go down this list and um and if you just have embryos that are down the list a bit we don't necessarily toss those but we can we can maybe give them a chance um, although they wouldn't necessarily be the first um, pick if we had a lot of embryos to choose from. And it also
1: gives us an answer to that question too. Like why is it that some of the PGT healthy embryos don't take? Just right. Because, right. Exactly. It sense. is one
0: of the reasons yes. probably. Yeah. And I think, I think the other piece of this is that from what we see is that when there are live births, those children seem to be normal. There was one reported case where they detected mosaicism in the offspring when the embryo was deemed to be mosaic that was placed in the uterus, but the baby was fine, right? And um, at this point, a lot of the studies that we have have not actually done genetic testing on the babies that have been born. The parents have to agree to it. And, And frankly speaking, a lot of folks that have put in mosaic embryos are like done with genetic testing. Because they feel like they've got just confusing results and like, why do more tests? Just give me a normal baby and I'm, I'll go yes. with that, right? So we we haven't, we still have a need for more data on the on the, the children that are born after the transfer of mosaic embryos, and maybe the placentas. And we have, no one's really been testing the placentas, but it's an interesting thing that we think some of these cells abnormal cells just going to the placenta and it'd be interesting for us to see if that's where we're going to find the abnormal cells.
1: Wow.
2: This is awesome. This has been yeah. so enlightening and enriching. And I hope that everyone that's, um, participating in this conversation gets a lot out of it. And then that it really does help you decide what to do on your journey when it comes to IVF and certainly, um, go check out both of the podcasts. So this one, and then, you know, um, by the time this is out, uh, we will definitely have our MyFruitology website up and running. And there are other pre-recorded um, podcasts there already to serve you in your life. On and we look at all the pillars of your health as well. Do you have anything else to add, Tanya, about that?
1: Uh- I guess the biggest thing uh, just in relation to this episode is that Dr. Laura Shaheen works with Dr. Lori in Seattle. And one of the episodes that we recorded was on giving hope to women with PCOS. And among so many episodes that we've recorded on all the years, um, women from preconception, we'll be talking about through pregnancy because it doesn't just end in fertility, Uh, Women who have struggled to get pregnant, there's still a huge journey of life ahead. And so we want to address that um, through our upcoming podcasts as well. So thank you so much for joining us. And thank you to everybody who's listening. And please share this because there are so many um, people with, uh, you know, going through this journey right now and who don't have answers. And I feel like this episode answered a ton of like questions that I had. And people will be so happy to understand it a lot more thoroughly. So, thank you so much, Dr. Lori.
2: Yeah, and I'm so excited. Yeah, thank you so much. And you know what? We have to also announce this. Like, we are super excited because coming up soon, we're also going to be start an actual program where we can mentor you through your fertility process. Because you know, although Dr. Tanya Wild is a naturopathic doctor, and I'm a, a um, acupuncturist and traditional Chinese medicine practitioner, it's much more than you know either sticking a needle in or doing IVF or taking a supplement. It's it's about your life and your well being while you're going through it. And we are gonna hold your hand through the whole thing to make this process way easier. So we're super excited to be able to promote and share the live webinars that we're gonna have um, in the future. So thank you. And so thank you again, Dr. Marshall, for being here. We are like so super thrilled and you've just shed amazing light to this conversation, which everyone, I, I literally say every single woman and couple are always a little confused about, you know, the genetic testing. So you really demystified it.
0: Thank you. Great. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. It was a pleasure.